This is 5.3, the Duke Basketball Podcast by Duke Diehard Basketball Fans for the Duke Basketball Diehard Fans. We've been away from a little from the podcast for a little bit. Obviously, I'm a little rusty. You can probably uh, chalk that up to the fact that I'm on pain medication for having a torn Achilles. I was doing my best Zion Williamson impersonation. <laughs> right before did you, the main question is did you did you make the dunk that's the main uh, question i you couldn't you couldn't slip a five dollar bill under my feet um <laughs> as, as fast as i went down uh, i went down like a sack of bricks i think i think my playing days are over if we have if we have any uh middle-aged listeners that are trying to relive the glory days my advice to you is stretch uh, beforehand, do not do not enter the uh, the lane. Uh, stay outside the three point line. Just chuck them up, and uh, and try to do as little effort as possible. Uh, otherwise, um, otherwise bad things can happen here. <laughs> uh, yeah, man, you got to learn that. Uh, you got to learn that old man back down game. Put yeah, back no, to the basket. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I was thinking there. I was I was on that night, and I thought that you know yeah. I could uh, I could make a move, and uh, my body thought otherwise. Ball fakes, uh, not fakes. That's your future. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, I, th- I, think, I think my uh, basketball future is going to be, you know, bringing a cooler Wednesday nights to watch the boys play and uh, yeah. just have a couple, couple cold ones um, from the sidelines. But people aren't here to, to hear about me. They want to hear about Duke basketball, and we've got a lot to cover since, we, since we've been away. And the, the first is, let's talk Maui. I know it's been a couple of weeks since we were we were in Maui, uh. <laughs> and, and based on your reaction right there, I'm going to let you kind of... Give us the recap and your thoughts since the uh, the tournament that you didn't even get to go to, which is unfortunate. I know, man. It, like the whole thing is just a wash because number one, I was supposed to be there. That didn't happen. Little girl got sick, had to stay home because of that. She's okay now, thankfully for that. And on top of that, man, just a, a very disappointing outing all the way around by this team. I, it it didn't look like the team that we that we've watched all season so far. And there's a pretty telling stat for that that I was gonna pull up. Uh, aside from talking about the uh, obviously the loss and and the way we played some of the games, because we masked some things with that 90 to 64 win against San Diego State. Obviously that team was overpowered. But just looking at Maui, we had 33 assists to 84 field goals made. That's only 39% of our field goals. So for some teams that's actually pretty good. That's gonna put you in the middle of a pack in the NCAA. But this team is has surpassed that the rest of the season. Where the rest of the season we've assisted 114 times on 192 field goals, which is 59%. So that right there is a huge difference. That's that's such a huge difference. The ball was not moving in Maui, man. And I don't think it was because of the defenses. You look back at the video, you look back at, at the games, it's hard as some of them are to watch. The Auburn game was a fun game to watch, but it's really hard to watch because it's not it wasn't the brand of basketball this team has kind of put on the floor for us. It just didn't look that the offense was stagnant. Movement was okay, but maybe you can contrib- contribute that to the, the travel, the distance of travel, and playing three games in a row, legs were rubbery, that type of thing. They said Zion was having full body cramps uh, ever since the Auburn game. They had to give him IV bags after games, things like that. So it maybe you can attribute some of that to that, but we just, we were not moving the ball, man. Not at all. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting point. And one that I know that we talked about during the games, you know, to each other, but the ball not moving was certainly evident. Do you think that that had more to do with, okay, this is the first time that this team has been in an environment like this. And normally, and I know Kay said this in the past, when you're in a situation that you haven't been in before and at times get a little bit more stressful because this team hadn't been in any stressful situations. And I started even with the first game of the year, which you thought it would be, but that was never a stressful moment. When things get stressful, you tend to think inward and you start to think, okay, what can I do? And you stop thinking about what is best for the team and how can we do this together? I think that that might've been a reason that the ball stopped moving. It was, it wasn't a lack of effort. 
it certainly was a lack of, of, of want. This team certainly wants it. I just think that they, and this is really, it really showed in the Gonzaga game where you couldn't just win on sheer talent. So in the Gonzaga game, those were exposed. Those deficiencies were exposed. You can't have a situation where the ball is not moving, where our movement is stagnant, like you said. And a lot of that, to me, just was inexperience. I thought it was an inexperience factor that showed in that Gonzaga game for the first really 30 minutes of the game, where everything that Gonzaga did looked simple. It looked fluid. Everything that they were getting was at the rim. It was easy. It was off the right cut, off the right pass. Everything Duke was doing, even when we were scoring, was so hard. It was so mm-hmm. difficult for us to, to, to get to the points that we were looking for. And what does that do? That, that makes you give so much more effort than your opponent. And to me, it's just, I thought, I thought the whole experience was fantastic for this team because this team needs experiences. You're starting for a freshman. Uh, this team needs experiences. And to me, the, the lack of ball movement and uh, you know the, the, the stagnant offense have a lot to do with just we haven't been there yet. I, I totally agree, especially with that Gonzaga game. I totally agree with that aspect. But Gonzaga for 35 minutes played a very a senior game, if, if you will. Yes. And Duke played a very freshman game. And what that Duke team looked like to me against Gonzaga, it looked like last season in that PK-80 tournament. It was pretty interesting to watch. And it, Coach K, he coached it this way. And you could tell he coached it this way. He saved, he, he saved the defense for about five to six minutes left in the game. He, he, didn't, he didn't want foul trouble. Obviously, he didn't want foul trouble because he needed his, his main guys in the game um, against Gonzaga last year in that PK-80, against Texas and Portland State and some of the others. He, he needed his, his main players in the game, most talented guys. It's kind of how his his modus operandi has been forever. But you could, you could tell that he wasn't, I don't know if it was a, conf, a lack of confidence or what, but it, or maybe it was just the fact that we've been in such foul trouble all season. He, he really saved how hard the guys were playing until that last five minutes. And then you started seeing some traps. You started seeing some more switches. You started seeing a little more ball pressure out towards half court, pushing the offense away. And it really affected Gonzaga, actually. I wish, I wish it happened maybe after the first TV timeout in the second half for just a small stretch, maybe a four-minute stretch or so. I wish we went to that to get us back in the game a little more, which we did. We got back into the game, and there was a little more, more pressure on D. But, but to kind of to what you're saying, to your point, in terms of, of the, the ball sharing and everything, I almost, I almost wonder if it was just a little bit of overconfidence. So like you said, no, no tests. There was a little bit of game stress with, with Kentucky, only in terms of it was a big game, and it's the first game of the season. So you have game stress right off the bat. But as soon as things start working for you, that, go, that all goes out the window. You, you start playing basketball. Canada, we saw very good ball sharing, even though RJ and Zion dominated the ball pretty much. And then the rest of the games after that, very good ball sharing, no tests, like you said. So first time they got tested, first time they really got hit in the mouth, and things just didn't work. Auburn just wasn't good enough to beat Duke. Gonzaga was. And that's kind of the difference there, because Auburn probably could have beaten Duke if they were a little bit of a better team and hit a few more shots, too, early on. So <laughs> that, that defense, our, this team really gets a lot of shots from defense, from fast breaks, steals, defensive rebounds. It's a high rebounding rate team. They run out on, on, on off of rebounds after that. So when you're not getting that or when you're getting a team that's at least matching you in that category, you at least have to find a way to get a stop and then go get a score. And they were not doing that for 35 minutes. Yeah, there's no question. Yeah, there's no, they weren't doing that for 35 minutes. And then in addition, you know, so essentially it's, it's funny. You know, Duke averages about 18 assists per game on the season. Mm-hmm. Duke only had nine assists in that game against Gonzaga. Yep, and, and I know the two previous games before that. Right, and and so it goes to show you that the, the ball movement wasn't there, and I know this isn't always uh, a direct correlation, but it's a pretty telling stat. You know, when you dominate, we actually shot free throws well that game too. You know, you mentioned that uh, you know Kay was 
potentially implementing a defense that protected our players. Well, Cam was out the majority of that second half with four fouls. And yes, he, he, really didn't, he, he really didn't put him back in that game, um, even toward the end, because, he, you know, I, I like the fact that Cam wasn't in the game just from the standpoint that Jack White, I thought, was playing so well. And it, it goes more than just hitting shots. Jack White was getting rebounds, and I know he missed the, the, the one at the end underneath the basket, but, uh, you know, Jack did all those little things. And I'm not sure having Cam in the game would have made a difference uh, in that comeback or not. Um, before we get to our second topic, uh, probably the, the most uh, hotly contested topic that we have had this season, because there really <laughs> haven't been many, uh, was the end of that game, uh, and more specifically the, the three or four straight trips down the floor when we had a chance uh, after the Gonzaga missed free throws with R.J. Barrett. Now, I'm going to get your take on, first of all, uh, the last three or four plays that, that were not made by R.J., the reaction immediately following that, uh, and you know, kind of where you stand on the whole R.J. Barrett post and Zaga uh, meltdown. So starting out, so watching the game as just as a fan, because one thing we talked about this a little bit actually before we started recording. One one thing I've done, I've been able to do with this team that in the past three years or so I haven't been able to do probably since Tyus's team is just watch this team as a fan. Like it's been fun, man. The, the past couple of years it's been it has been fun games, but as a team you just because, you know, it's it's a one-and-done thing. You're getting used to it as a fan. It's hard to get used to. So watching games, you, you maybe watch a little more critically than you normally would because, you know, the guys aren't going to be around longer. You're watching them saying, oh, is he NBA ready or not? All those types of things. So it's just, it's not, it's it's different. It's watching watching a college basketball game. It makes it a lot different. This team, even though you know those, some of those guys are gone, it's still, this team is really fun to watch. It's a type of good, a fun team to get behind. So it's really disappointing when uh, such a big tournament like the Maui Invitational in a tournament where Duke had gone 17-0 beforehand, to, to watch them lose and that and that be the team that lost. Like, not the Tyler Thornton team. That's the team that lost in Maui. That sucks, man. And so I was so pissed after the game. I was so angry. It, it's and, – and, and I wasn't mad at RJ necessarily, but I'm watching the game. And, and like most fans, I'm watching, like, what are you doing? Why, why, why is this being drawn up this way? And I started watching it as a coach a little bit because I'm like, as you watch the players, Zion Williamson is stuck in the corner. Oh, Trey right. doesn't have the ball. Cam isn't even on the floor. It's Javin Delorier is on the floor, floor for the first couple of possessions of that last that last segment, and then RJ gets on or Cam gets on and then doesn't get a shot out of it. So I'm like, what is happening? So you look at it. You look at, at Cam. He's been on the bench for eight minutes. Is he going to be ready to put a three up in crunch time like that? And you don't want to kill that kid's confidence either. You don't want him to put up a shot. He feels like he's the reason they lost the game because inherently that's what's going to happen. You're going to feel like you're the reason you lost the game. And you yeah. know, and his confidence already seems a bit shaken as it is. You don't want that to kill that kid's psyche. Zion, in hindsight now, not, not being able to know that as we're watching the game, and you can't tell because of the way he plays, is dealing with full body cramps the entire time. So is he going to be able to get to the rim and get a good shot off? Chances are the way he'd been playing, yeah, but you know you just don't, you don't know. You don't want to put that to chance. And Trey, you know, I love, love the way he moves the ball. It's just not, he's not the, the go-to guy right now. He could be, and he probably will be down the stretch, and we'll see that more often. But right now, he's not the go-to guy. So it's, it's RJ. RJ's the alpha. That's the one. He's the guy. He's the guy that they couldn't stop for the last 10 minutes of the game anyway. Right. He's the one who's right. going to get us back. So, yeah, put the ball in his hands. I get that. It's Kobe Bryant for the Lakers. He's going to win games and he's going <laughs> right. to lose it's games. Not, it's not and when he wins games, you love him. And when he loses games, you don't really care because it's Kobe. It's the same thing with RJ, man. And not only that, but the kid is 18 years old, and he's going to mm -hmm. learn. And so my immediately takeaway, actually, I was – I couldn't believe I'm saying this. I was quite calm during the whole thing. I, I think it might have been a, a – the part of the fact was we had just made the comeback. Um, so 
my expectations for the first 35 minutes or so right. were, you know, we're not going to win this game. And, you know, so I'm watching this as, oh, wow. You know, RJ was really the catalyst of, of us getting into that position for us to have a chance to win. Mm-hmm. So I looked at it from that standpoint. Obviously, those last three um, possessions, which Gonzaga really handed us because mm-hmm. of the missed free throws on that, on their end, uh, you know, they you'd like to have those back, obviously. Uh, but right. RJ is going to learn from those. I have no doubt about that. You actually already saw at the end of the first half of the Indiana game, they're going to give uh, Zion an opportunity to, to potentially go out and make the play. But mm-hmm. the last possession, when RJ had the ball at the top of the key, I, you know, we're down two. Uh, I don't think Coach K wanted to go to, to overtime at that point. Um, maybe he did. I don't know. But here's the thing. RJ had an opportunity at the top of the key to take an open three. I would have been fine with that shot. If he misses it, he misses it. Secondly, he goes, he makes a great move. He gets right past his defender. Yep. He probably should have, in hindsight, pulled up, you know, from 10, 12 feet there with the jumper and let Zion and Jack, you know, get, get a chance for a tip-in or something like that. That didn't happen. And then, you know, he tries to draw the foul. You know, I know Coach Pei said uh, in, in post-game that uh, – that foul wasn't called. I don't think the ref should have called a foul there. It didn't look like it was a, a blatant foul, so that's fine. Uh, and he's not a great foul shooter as it is. I think he was four, four for eight in that game. So that that was in a position where we we, we would have wanted him. But he's gonna he's gonna learn from that. And I'm completely fine having it in in his hands. And you made a great point uh, about Cam. Cam was on the bench for so long. Him coming out cold and trying to hit a you know 25 footer. For the win, uh, I, I don't think that that was the right call at that point. I know a lot of fans have said, you know, maybe Cam should have, you know, had a, a play drawn up for him. I don't think that that was the right call, personally. Uh, not at that position. I should right. have argued that, that Trey could have had the ball in his hands. But, again, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty there. But, you know, kind of talking about the RJ. Well, you watch Gonzaga's defense. Right. If you, uh, right. if you watch Gonzaga's defense, they, they were playing for that. They were playing to force RJ into the lane and have Rui Hachimura and uh, Clark, I believe it was, contest him at the rim. That's how they exactly. played. They shut off the three-point right. passing that, angles. That, that's not going to be a position for Trey. And it's certainly nope. not there, not the way they were going to play it. So let's talk about, obviously, I think we're in agreement. RJ didn't lose that game for Duke. There, there's no question. R- RJ you know, sparked that comeback. Now let's talk mm-hmm. a little bit about the Coach K quote after, I guess it was the Indiana game. Where you know he's coming at um, a lot of the Duke fans, and really it was a message to Duke fans on social media that I mean, what kind of world are we living in where an 18-year-old kid who's been there for six games uh, is getting that kind of treatment from you know you can't see the air quotes on a podcast Duke fans that are coming after the guy, um, you know, mm-hmm. fashionly? Are you kidding me? Uh, what, what world are you living in that that you believe as an armchair fat ass drinking beers on the couch fan? that you can go after a kid on social media that you've probably 99% sure never met in your entire life, don't know who he is, and don't know what he was thinking. It wasn't fucking hero ball, pardon my language. It was him trying to go out and make a play. I said that right after the game. It wasn't hero ball. Yeah. It was him trying to make a play. It didn't work. Coach K probably could have drawn up something a little better for him. Uh, maybe he did that for a reason, though. So, you know, Absolutely. who knows? It was the sixth game of the year. So what is your thought on, on the Coach K reaction after the Indiana game, kind of calling yeah. those fans out? I think that was. I think it was a little bit of. I think it was a little bit of keeping Duke fans in check because he's been known to do that in the past. Also, think it was a little bit of trying to deflect from the from deflect a little bit off of RJ, preserve the chemistry that his team has 
avoid any yep. issues with jealousy or anything like that because you know rj is going to be the one who's being hammered and everybody the, the media world is going to say zion should have taken a shot zion 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 because right now the world is zion crazy so he's right. preserving that chemistry a little bit he's preserving rj's psyche a little bit and he's also i think trying to temper some of the expectations because the media has gone nuts for the past four four to five weeks about this team ever since that kentucky game they've gone insane man people generally educated and and respectable people in the sports media world have gone insane with this team with some of the things they're saying and yeah a lot of it's clickbait and just the, the way things work in 2018 on the internet and on television but my god man it's 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 insane so yeah i think he had to I think he was trying to bring some people down to earth a little bit obviously there was not much you know there's no pushback after that there's no backlash after that the media has calmed down a little bit but you know most 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 images you're going to see on ESPN and some of the other websites are going to be a, a picture of Zion with a Duke jersey, probably hugging RJ or something, or Zion Duncan or putting up windmills or whatever else. So you're still going to get some of the same publicity that they've had. But I think I think the loss and that coupled together kind of brought things back to a little bit of a perspective. Duke is still overshadowing the college basketball world, and they're going to with this team no matter what, unless we lose 10 games in a row or something. But for the most part, that was – I think that, that was a message kind of all around to 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 everyone in different ways. It, it was he's pretty good at, at sending different messages to different people with the same with all the same words. You know, one speech told somebody else something different. It told RJ, "You're fine. Yeah. I want you to take my shots." It told the team, "We're fine. We're gonna be okay." It told Duke fans, "Shut the hell up." It told the media, "Calm the hell down." You know what I mean? So it it, it had it played a lot of different roles. So I, I think it was a good statement. Obviously, it, it it's so funny how what kind of publicity brought after that because then you have LeBron James saying. I love Coach K for saying that. I hope my son gets to play for him. So then you had a whole week of LeBron James Jr. is going to go play for Duke. The kid's in eighth grade. He's he's in eighth grade. Like, who knows if he's even going to be in college first? Who knows if he's going to be a good enough basketball to be a, a D1 college player? Probably. He's not even the best player on his AU team. He's probably not even the fourth right. best player in his AU team. So it's like, it's crazy, man, how how far this has all gone. Yeah, it, it is crazy. It is. And we could really go down a rabbit hole on that. But you did bring up one thing that I wanted to talk about, which is kind of talking about you know, the Zion versus RJ uh, argument that I saw uh, the immediate knee-jerk reactions after the Gonzaga game, which is, well, you know, you saw this stat about how uh, RJ has missed more shots than uh, Zion has taken. And when you first see that stat, it's, wow, holy smokes, you know, we got we to gotta get Zion the ball. You know, we got to get him the ball. And, and, and sure enough, you, you probably do need to get him the ball. Um, but they're completely different players. These guys are not the same player. You know, RJ is a guy that can get his shot uh, from anywhere on the court, whether that is uh, outside the three-point line, driving to the basket, mid-range, die in his face. He can pull up from anywhere. It doesn't make any difference. He can finish at the rim. Um, you know, he's that type of player. He, he's a much more advanced, uh, skill-wise player than probably anybody in the country. Mm-hmm. And we, we've talked about this offline that we don't even get this clip for him yet. So once that game slows down for him, look out. Uh, now, mm-hmm. um, Zion, Zion's just a monster. You know, Zion's averaging, you know, nearly 21 and 9 a game <laughs> with incredible uh, efficiency numbers. But, you know, Zion, Zion's numbers uh, are, they're all at the rim. You know, Zion's kind of like a big guy right. with his numbers. You know, so it's not apples to apples when you're, oh, well, you know, Zion's shooting 60 plus percent. RJ's down at 45, yep. which 45 is not bad for the, the amount of shots and the level of difficulty. Zion's usage rate is different from RJ's. So they right. complement each other very, very well on the basketball court. And I think that that's why it works so well. And you have two guys that are averaging over 20 a game this far into the season. 
eight games into the season, you know, usually somebody might drop back. And it's not like they're playing, you know, 45, you know, excuse me, 40, 35, 40 minutes a game. You know, these guys right. aren't playing, you know, nobody's averaging more than 30. So, right. you know, talk a little bit about uh, what you're seeing from, from that side of it, uh, you know, in terms of uh, the differences between the two players, how they complement each other. And, you know, segue us into our third topic, but I want to hear you first on, on sure, kind sure. of the, the comparison there. Well, it boils down to it boils down to to style of play, and you you touched on that big time. It's RJ's style of play versus Zion's style of play. Zion leads a team in plus minus on both offense and defense because he gets a chance to get runouts because he's playing the team's third or fourth best option, so he gets a chance to float a little more on defense. And on offense, he's either getting fast breaks, most of his shots are coming off fast breaks, or he's getting them off the dribble, off the bounce. He's not taking a lot of jumpers because right now that's not a part of his game. He's not a great jump shotter, a uh, jump shooter. He's hit some, and we've seen him hit some. I think his pull-up game off the dribble is not bad, but that's that's an area that you you would love to see him really, really work with some more because we're going to need him to take some of those shots down the stretch because Gonzaga did a good job, if you noticed, of, of taking some of those shots away from Zion. He wasn't quite as efficient as he typically is against most teams because they really put a focus on, we're going to take that away. Cam Reddish is out. He's not doing anything. And and so it's it's all on RJ at that point. RJ's usage rate is so high, it's, it's really on him, he and, he and Trey Jones. The other part of that is it's you, you mentioned RJ versus Zion, and that's been the debate worldwide. It it can't be that. It can't be RJ and Zion and then the rest of the team. It needs to be RJ Zion and Cam Reddish. Because Cam Reddish is taking four point five field goals a game right now. That needs to change big time. He's uh, sorry, I think I I had that was three pointers. Four point five threes a game. He's taking seven seven shots a game. He needs to take a lot more shots. He's getting to the line a little bit. He's not doing much off the bounce. His full game is so smooth and so he's just so talented. It's I, I talked before about with you about you, you kind of cringe a little bit when you hear someone say, oh, this guy, you have one player who's the best player on the team, but this guy is the most talented because it, it's like, OK, you, typically their most talented player should be your best player. But in, in Cam's case, it's not really you cringe because you think it's uh, it's a lack of effort or something else. It's not really that. It's just he's deferring so much. And you would I would really like to see Cam get a few more shots. He's not very efficient right now. He's shooting 41% from the field, 43% from three. His efficiency is a little bit low, and you want to see him, you want to see him get that up. Hopefully, get to the rim a little bit more often, especially these next couple of weeks, uh, in in practice and in games. Really explore that option. He did a little bit. You saw he did a little bit against Stetson. He he really, Coach K put him in with that second unit for most of that game in the second half, and and really let him run the team on offense, kind of like RJ does with the first team. And and you saw what he's capable of. Yeah, it's Stetson, but you still saw the fact that he can get shots from anywhere on the court, anywhere on the court. As soon as you cross half court, Cam Reddish is ready and, and capable. That's the other part. So as, as good as Zion is, as, as good as he is as get, to get into the rim and everything else, you don't want to see him do too much more because that's going to take away from what he does because now you're going to have teams doubling him and, and crunching down on the lane. You have RJ doing his thing. You want RJ to continue to do what he does because he, he demands so much attention. Stetson tried to play him one-on-one, and you saw what happened to him. He's 26, 7, and 7, and, and pretty much one half of basketball. Right. So you need to add another piece. Right. You need to add another piece to that and not just a complimentary specialty piece like, oh, we need another three point shooter. No, we need another scorer on top of those two. We need somebody mm-hmm. else because RJ is going to have his share of, of defenses drawn up for him. Zion's going to have his share of defenses drawn up for him. Who does that leave? That leaves Cam. And if you leave Cam one on one, oh my God, that should be a mismatch all day long. I don't care who's guarding him because the best player is going to be guarding RJ. The second best or biggest player is probably going to be guarding Zion. So you have some other team's third best player who has no, and nowhere on this planet should be able to guard Cam Reddish, and he's guarding Cam Reddish. So 
that is that is something I would love to see change with this team is is Cam's usage rate. Forget RJ yeah. for a second and he needs the ball less. Forget Zion for a second and his his highlights and fast breaks and everything else. Cam, Cam is the one. Cam is the one that needs to see needs to see the ball go in and he needs to see some more opportunities to make the ball go in. Yes, Cam is. Yes, it'll be interesting to see what Kay ends up doing while we have uh, a little bit of a break coming off. I guess I guess we have ten days off after the Yale game, uh, and then obviously mm-hmm. after um, the Texas Tech game, we're going to have uh, quite a bit of time off for them. I think to to really find out a way for for Cam to to be that third scorer, to be that third piece. Um, but really, it's a one A one B one C type of offense, much like you know back in twenty ten where you had. Shire, Singler, and Smith. Everybody knew who the three scorers were, and they played off each other very well. This is an opportunity for them to really put in a, a situation where uh, Pam can can be uh, a more integral part. And, that, and we're talking about a guy that's only playing 23 minutes a game and averaging 16.3 points right. already. So uh, just think about how scary it is when we start drawing up a little bit more uh, for that guy. But talking about usage rate, and let's get into our third uh, pillar. For, for this podcast, which is yeah. on the other side of this rivalry is uh, a guy eight miles down the road who isn't even starting. Right. He's projected the top three in the NBA draft, uh, Nasir Little, who yes, everybody you know, coming into the year was talking about, you know, how he's the big guy for going to UNC, uh, mm-hmm. you know, going on his own, whereas Cam, Zion, and RJ are teaming up. Uh, he's all about winning. He's okay with coming off the bench. Look, they, they, look, they're six and two, and I know that Roy and Kay do things differently, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Roy is, is is quite ironic actually because Roy is often uh, lauded uh, for playing a lot of guys early, um, even sacrificing a couple wins early in the season in November and December uh, to get other guys minutes and to mm-hmm. get some 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 more players' experience. Uh, so that it prepares them well for March. It, he's been very successful at that, let's just be honest. Right. Uh, but it's ironic because one of the guys that needs that experience is also their best player, and you can't convince me so far that he's not the best player on that team because he is. Um, he's playing 19 minutes a game. He's right. coming off the bench, and, and while I have said I believe that this will stop at the next game, uh, for the first eight games he hasn't started, that, that's, what are you doing? What, why are you being difficult? Is basically what I'm what I'm asking. Why is Roy Williams being difficult here? Well, that, it's his mo. That that is his that is his mo. It, that is what he does on a regular basis. Not a regular basis because he has he doesn't get he doesn't get one and done post type players very often. But when he has them, this is how they play. This is how he treats them. Not treats them. I won't say treats them because I'm not saying he treats them wrong. But this is how he uses those guys. This is how they are used. We talked about usage with the last with Zion and RJ and them. This is how. Roy's big guys are used. He, he, his, typically, his teams consist of four to five guys who are capable of playing the post and will get time on the floor to save fouls, to save energy, blah, blah, blah. Typically, he'll have two or three takeover-type guards from the point guard position to the shooting guard position who you know are going to get their shots and are going to make their shots. They're all pretty efficient. And then, and it generally, he has that speedy get-to-the-rim-whenever-he-wants-to point guard who also can make the decent pass, Ray Felton, Ty Lawson those types of players, even you can go back to the Jacques Vaughn from his old Kansas teams, that that's his, his best teams have those guys. And you look back at his freshman bigs on some of those teams and, and the ones that achieved a little bit and the ones that underachieved a little bit. Let's go back to Marvin Williams for a second. No starts. So you said you, we should see Nas start starting games at this point. I don't think so. 
if he's not starting now, I don't think he's going to start the rest of the season. I think he's going to be the sixth man, and I think he's going to come off as a guy who's capable of playing outside and inside. Even though he only takes about two threes a game and only makes less than one three a game, he's he's going to be a player who's going to be on the floor on the wing when you need him for defense, and he's going to be in the middle a little bit for offense. You have – so Marvin Williams, go back to Marvin Williams, 22 minutes a game, no starts. Lottery pick, projected lottery pick coming out in a time where only about five to six guys would be even in that position. So he he averaged about 11 or so points a game. I, off the top of my head, I don't have it written down. I actually don't. I, about 11 points a game, if I remember correctly. Brandon Wright, you go next after Marvin Williams. A couple of years later, you have Brandon Wright. Brandon Wright is the one, only one of Roy's one and done bigs that started every single game. He started all 37 other games. That team underachieved a little bit. They lost to Georgetown. Brandon Wright played 27 minutes a game on that team. So even though he started all of them, he's not like K where he's going to play 30 some odd minutes a game. He's only playing 27 minutes. A lot of that has to do with foul trouble. You look at his performance in, in the NCAA tournament, he had, I think, two out of two of his four games, he was he had four personal fouls. So Brandon Wright got in foul trouble a lot. And, and you notice that throughout the season. Still pretty, pretty, really, really good college player. And he torched Duke a couple times he played him. Only averaged 14 points a game. Again, usage, not being used very often. He had another guy right beside him in Tyler Hansborough, who, of course, is going to get those shots. So you have Tyler Hansborough on that team. With Marvin Williams, you had Sean May on that team. We go to Tony Bradley. No starts, 14 minutes a game. about what, 10-ish points a game, somewhere around there. Very good player. Could be used more often because he was very efficient when he was on the floor. Created a lot of problems for teams, but won't see the floor very often because they have Luke May in the middle. And so now look who's competing again with Luke May. You have Naz Little. So when Roy has, he, he, he lets those seniors take the run of the team. When they're there, they are the ones who are on the floor. They're the ones who are, who are playing the game. That's kind of what he does. And whether it's to his own detriment or not, because the only team... Uh, I mean, obviously, with that, the Tony Bradley team makes it to the Final Four, but the only team that won a title is the Marvin Williams squad. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. We could spend a lot of time on this. I completely disagree with you on on him not starting, though. I just can't. Those teams were built differently. This mm-hmm. team here is not built for. I, I, I would think Ron Moore Williams. Who do you think he replaces? Who do you think? Uh, who do you think Naz replaces in the lineup? So yeah, so basically, what I think is going to happen here, I think that their two best players are Cam Johnson and Little. So if mm-hmm. you pair those two together on both of the wings, to me, that makes the most sense. Now, obviously, Roy doesn't, like you said earlier, Roy doesn't like to play a system where he doesn't have those bigs on the floor. But that's not the best lineup for North Carolina. I can't mm-hmm. believe, I mean, and this is just where we completely disagree, and, and I just can't see a situation where Roy is this stupid because it's bigger than just this year's team. You know, and this is, this is where yeah. I'm thinking about it from a much higher level here. Mm-hmm. It is it's bigger than this year's team. From like age, for, for for just for this year's team, first of all, their best lineup, in my opinion, is one who I believe is out tonight and will be replaced by Seventh Blues. But forget about that. White, Little, Cam Johnson, uh, uh, your boy Luke May. Those to me, you know, are, are their four best players, right? So if you want to throw in who is it, Garrison Brooks? Uh, Garrison Brooks and Kenny Williams, more than likely. I, I would replace Kenny Williams personally, but I know mm-hmm. to your point earlier that he doesn't want to do that with, you know, the, the fact that Kenny's a senior, mm-hmm. uh, he plays great defense. Well, he's also supposed to be a three-point specialist to help stretch the floor, and he's shooting 26% from three. <laughs> so is Marcus so, <laughs> Well, yeah, so, uh, you know, but, but Little can do so much more. And whatever defense that Kenny Williams is giving you doesn't uh, replace what, what Little can do. And I think a lot of Little's numbers personally – are being um, deflated just from the way he's being incorrectly used. 
So well, we'd have to think that from this year's perspective, uh, if you're going to start a uh, little, you got to do it now. Uh, Roy's going to look like a genius because he put in uh, Little, who should have been starting from the beginning. Uh, but talking about the higher level here is from a recruiting and future standpoint, the best thing that could happen for Duke fans is, is this, is that uh, Kobe Wade continues to play well enough to play himself into the first round of the draft and leaves. Uh, Little's going to leave either way. I know he loves UNC, and, and that's the only reason that can stay at UNC because they love him so much, even though mm-hmm. Tony Bradley couldn't get out of there fast enough. You know, <laughs> Little is a guy that is going to leave regardless. He's a top five pick, no matter how Roy is going to use him. So mm-hmm. he's going to leave regardless. So now you're going to have a situation where uh, one and done guys are already a little skittish on going to UNC because of the way Roy uses, or for lack of a better term, doesn't use them. And, you know, I, I know that a lot of UNC fans say that the uh, the scandal uh, had a lot to do with it, and it has something to do with it. But one-and-done guys, you know, they know they're going to be there for one year. That right. that doesn't really play a whole lot of factor into it for, for their for their perspective. Um, they don't go there because Roy is known to not play underclassmen as much as other programs, uh, potentially programs that have adapted uh, to that, uh, that new rule. So... Mm-hmm. In my opinion, if Roy knows what's good for him, he's got to start a little from, for the future of the program if you're trying to get those top guys. And it's going to be interesting to see what Cole Anthony does, and that's going to lead us into our next segment, which is recruiting. Right. It's going to be interesting to see what Cole Anthony does because he could look at that team for next year and see uh, the seniors that left. He can see that Maslin left. He can see that Kobe White left. Does he want to go to that team? I know that Bankhead uh, is his best friend. Uh, maybe that's enough to get him there. Obviously, UNC is the front runner for, for his services. He might look at that and say, you know what? I'm not sure I want to go to that team. Uh, I don't think that that'll happen, but it'll be interesting. But let's talk about Duke recruiting because this is a big week, big week for, for Duke recruiting. we got a big potential uh, commitment coming tomorrow. Where are we with the Vernon Carey uh, recruitment? Where do you see it happening? What uh, is the ripple effect from that decision, uh, whether he decides to go to Duke or not? Uh, mm-hmm. for Isaiah Stewart and Matthew Hurt down the line? I think, gosh, so I thought last year that we'd get Vernon Carey. I thought earlier this year we'd get Vernon Carey. I thought a couple of weeks ago we would not get Vernon Carey, and now it sounds like we might get Vernon Carey again. So, it's you know, this is the world of recruiting, too, and, and you can pretty much tell when, when a guy is going to go somewhere. You can tell. Based on their motives, based on what the team offers, based on who's there, some of those factors. Vernon Carey is not afraid of who's on a a roster already. He's not afraid of who's coming in with him. He knows he's the top dog in his class. And in a class, mind you, that is pretty similar to probably that 2016 recruiting class that was not that great. Not a lot of greatness came out of that class. This one's going to be going to be kind of the same way. You have four, two, two to four guys in the top that are just head and shoulders above, and then the rest of them are all kind of in one big lump. So not that they're not talented players, just they're not, you know, they're, they're just not players that are going to take a team and just totally change that team and make them something different that they've never been before. You have that in this class. You had three of them, and they all went to Duke, just so happens. But this this class, this this 19 recruiting class, doesn't really have that, but you do have a monster in uh, Vernon Carey, especially when he really puts his mind to the game. Isaiah Stewart, he, he's his his work rate is very similar to Zion. Not maybe not his skill, maybe not how how talented he is, but his work rate is is very similar. And and then you have Cole Anthony. Those to me, those are the top three, and they're they're the three that are really the guys out of this class. And anyone else who comes up is just not expected. So 
Vernon Carey, I, th- I think we see him in the Duke uniform. I think we see number one Vernon Carey. That's a jersey number for him next year. Okay. Okay. I think <sighs> Isaiah Stewart, I don't know. He's the one, man. He's the one. I, I just don't know. I, if if he if he decides to commit to Duke and not Michigan State, if Vernon Carey commits to Duke and not Michigan State, because it's very one of those very strange coincidences that you see two kids with the same top two, and most of the basketball world is saying if one picks one, then the other's going to pick the other one, and it just it just depends on who pulls the trigger first. He's they've maintained that they would play together and everything else. Who knows how that's going to work out if that works out. We've seen a few teams try the two big method right now in the way that college basketball is being played. Very not quite like the NBA um, in terms of how many threes and things are being taken, but still the perimeter game is is dominating the basketball world in general. But two big guys can make it work. We saw last year with with Bagley and and Carter, they made it work based on talent alone. If they had a point guard that really was a, a focused point guard on getting the ball to them on the interior and, and moving the ball around, they were fine. And and, and even so, that offense didn't struggle last year. It was the defense that struggled. And and that you can put on a lot of different factors from the perimeter guys to the guys inside to just bad schemes to just playing a horrible zone. So there's a lot of factors there as to why Duke didn't make it all the way through when they really probably should have with two bigs. So two bigs can make it work. It's just they have to buckle down on defense. And that's the part I'm kind of leery about because Brendan Carey doesn't necessarily buckle down on defense. So we'll see where he goes. I, I, like I said, I think I, I thought Duke for a long time and then I didn't think Duke for a little bit. But then it's back to Duke again. So I'd I'd be I'd I'd be fairly confident in saying that I think you can see him in a Duke uniform. Isaiah Stewart, on the other hand, not so sure. Matthew Hurt, I could see him in a Duke uniform, especially if Isaiah Stewart doesn't come. I I've been all over the map on this one as well. Uh, everything that we're hearing uh, more recently is that Perry will will pick Duke. I mm-hmm. I think it's fifty fifty. I think it's fifty fifty between Austin Michigan State. I think that's well known. Uh, to, to me, uh, the, the thing that I've never understood is. We should have Bolden back next year. If he doesn't come back next year, I, I don't know where he's going, uh, but he should be back next year. So I just didn't ever see a situation where we would get both of those guys. To me, it just didn't make a whole lot of sense, unless they know something that we don't, uh, or at least I don't know, uh, in terms of what Bolden's going to do. So I can't imagine that we get both. It brings up an interesting situation, though, with Matthew Hurt, because let's say that Perry does pick Duke. In my opinion, that pushes uh, Stewart to Michigan State. And because there is a little bit of overlapping skill uh, with Hurt and Carey, more so than Hurt and Stewart, I don't know that Hurt would then go ahead and choose Duke. Uh, we do have Joey Baker that will be coming off a red shirt. I know it hasn't been announced, but it's pretty uh, evident that Joey Baker's red shirting this year. Right. So it'll be interesting to see what Hurt does. I, you know, I guess K uh, will have time to convince him that uh, all three of those guys can play together, Hurt, Bolden, and Carey. Um, I can certainly see a situation where they could all play together. Um, defensively, I'm not sure how efficient that would be, right. uh, especially with uh, the concerns you already have with Carey and then Aston Hurt to guard uh, threes in, at the collegiate level. Mm-hmm. I don't know how, how that would work. The other thing that you mentioned that I think is a big factor here, our biggest recruit for next year is, is Trey Jones. We need Trey, jo- we need Trey Jones to come back. Right. Um if he wants to go ahead and, and leave us to the promised land like his brother did and go ahead and leave, by all means, he has my blessings. Uh, we thought that we were going to get multiple years from Tyus. Obviously, that didn't happen. Uh, right. I would think that we would get you know, a couple years out of Trey, but you just never know. In 2018, it's going to be a 2019 draft. You never know what they're going to do. Uh, to me, though, if we're able to get and recruit with the, the fact that we know that we're going to have a point guard 
like Trey Jones around, that's got to be a huge recruiting tool that we can use to our advantage. Absolutely, and and that's that's the thing I think Matthew Hurt wants. Matthew Hurt, he Hurt wants two things. He wants he wants a big who's going to take pressure off of him where he doesn't have to be the main center, and he wants a point guard that's going to distribute the ball and not shoot and score the ball. You look at his number one, supposed number one, which is Kansas. Their floor general is is Quentin Grimes at the moment. He's gone, man. He's he's going to go pro. This draft you, and this draft is going to shake out to be one where you're going to see a lot of these freshmen go because as you watch the NBA season unfold, you see a lot of needs out of different teams. You see teams that need point guards. You see teams that need bigs. You see teams that need scoring wings. So that Grimes is gone. You, you, then you see, you know, he's he's added Minnesota. He's visiting Kentucky. He's visiting UNC. If he goes to UNC, he's got a scoring point guard potentially in Cole Anthony. If not Cole Anthony, Kobe White. So and, and then that leaves Duke. That leaves who, who's Duke going to have? And as you mentioned, Trey Jones is is easily the most important important recruit. It probably all catch college basketball next year because not only is he one of the best players in this class. You put a, a sophomore Trey Jones in with this coming high school class, he's probably the number one or two recruit, you know, quote unquote, because just because of how good he is, yeah. how seasoned he is, and how, how intelligent he is as a player and all the things he does on the court and how important he is. He's not as flashy as some other guys are and things like that, but just from from just straight up being a good basketball player, you could say he's the number one or two recruit in that class. So he is he is the most important recruit in college basketball because that is going to determine what a lot of these guys do in spring. And when these guys, especially Matthew Hurt, starts making his spring visits there's going to be an idea from the staff from the players and everything else about who's going to potentially be around so if you see if you see matthew hurt within the season commit to duke then i think that's a pretty good indication that after the season trey jones is coming back i i think you can say that yeah. i think you can be pretty confident in saying that i don't know that much is going to change that the only thing i think that changes trey leaving is whether or not he can hit if he can hit jump shots and and score in the paint he hasn't proven that against against superior competition yet. Gonzaga, he didn't really prove it. He he, he made some shots, some definitely some big shots. I won't take anything away from him, but he hasn't just proved it on a consistent level yet. We'll see that in ACC play. So moving forward, yeah, that's that's going to be a big factor with him, and a big factor with with seeing if if Matthew Hurt's going to come to the school or not. Yeah, and, and yeah, and, and you see it already. That doesn't make mistakes for the most part, and gets you the ball, <laughs> and bids want the ball. So. Yeah. Um, he, he's definitely going to be important. Let's finish up the uh, the podcast here with our fifth and final. Uh, topic of the night, which is uh, we got a couple games uh, to predict, and uh, that's the uh, the Hartford and the the Yale game. Um, the Hartford game tonight is uh, 7 p.m. ESPN two. Um, I don't I don't think Hartford has a has a, a good chance tonight. Um, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that. So I'm just gonna give you my prediction right now. Uh, 103 to 57. Wow! <laughs> Yikes! I haven't seen the <laughs> this game. Do you know what it is? The, the, yeah, uh, you know, honestly, yeah, I, I looked. I, I tried to look for one prior okay. to the to the podcast. Might, I didn't see one. Okay, they they might not even put one up. Occasionally, they don't, especially if they they think the team is really gonna either e really gonna crush or be like they put up four last week. They put a number of like 40, 43 or something like that for Duke to beat Stetson, and and they easily covered that. So yeah. I don't I don't know if they want to lose too much more money. Hartford's a pretty good team. They're supposed to be second in the America East. That's the same conference that had UMBC. Same conference that has Vermont. We play some of those uh, American East teams, last, you know, most notably Vermont, a few years ago with that Jabari Parker team, only beat them by one, almost ended the streak there or whatever. But this team is not as good as that Vermont team. They're not as good as Vermont is this year, and they shouldn't really make Duke sweat too much. I, th- I think we'll probably see maybe in the beginning of the game a little bit. There might be a little bit of back and forth scoring-wise because they can score. But ultimately, I think Duke comes out 94-65. 94-65. And I think we got to figure out a way um... – you know, to to do our yearly oh, yeah, yeah. contest because I mean we're both P 
picking blowouts, so it's not really a way to do it. But I think, uh, you know, obviously on the, on the rivals board, uh, we do a season-long uh, ACC contest, and I think I've beaten you every single yeah. year. So I feel quite confident in my ability <laughs> there. But I think what we'll do uh, for our state dinner uh, bet is um, we'll use that uh, that rivals ACC predictions. But we'll go ahead and continue to, to pick all the big games. Uh, and the next one okay. is, uh, is you know, we could Okay. We could try. Uh, we could tally up the scores, whatever our top score was for Duke, top score for the other team, and just go by margin that way, whoever had the closest margin. We could, but I think that with, with I mean, if you look at a extension game, you know, yeah, you, that's true. Right, right, right. points, and yeah. RJ only plays 17 minutes. By the way, we didn't touch about on how efficient that is. 17 minutes, 26 points. Uh, I think he was, what, 12 or 14 from the field? Yeah. Uh, yeah. He had seven, seven rebounds. Uh, I think about four steals, something like that. I mean, the guy was the guy was all time uh, in that game, so good for him. But yeah. uh, real quick, let's get to this Yale prediction. Yale mm-hmm. uh, is three and two. Uh, they have played a couple solid opponents in Memphis. Uh, they only lost to seven by them. Uh, mm-hmm. Point earlier about Vermont. They played Vermont, lost by nine. Uh, mm-hmm. They did beat Miami, who's an ACC school. I know Miami's right. uh, not the team right now that uh, some thought they might be. Either way, it doesn't matter. Uh, Duke's going to roll on this one. I'm going to go with 91 to 62. Okay. All right. I got. I have 88 to 60. They don't have Makai Mason anymore. He transferred to Baylor. They have a couple guys. Um, couple couple guys on the the top of their roster right now. I believe one kid's name is like Mai Oyun or something like that. A couple other guys. A couple guys who are seniors and, and juniors. Typical Yale team. They shoot a lot of threes, and that's something that I'm going to be interested to see if this Duke team can handle. I'd really like to see them do better than they get, did against Army in terms of handling those three-point shots and three-point shooters. Didn't do a good job of that last time, especially over-helping a lot. So I'd, I'd like to see a better better effort on this game. So I said 88-60. Yeah, there we go. 88-60, 91-62. All right, that's it for us. We're glad to be back. Um, hopefully a couple big wins here uh, in the next few days. Uh, obviously, hope that nobody gets injured like I did when I tried to uh, act like Zion. We'll just uh, hope for... Uh, <laughs> For, for a pleasurable viewing experience from our couches where we can judge everything that they're doing. Uh, that's it for me. Go do. Go do. Thank you for tuning in. This has been the 